Hey guys, imagine sailing the Mediterranean on a ship full of passengers who share your thirst for history, love of country, gourmet Italian food, great nightlife, and relaxing poolside on the deck. Man, that sounds enticing, right? I want to go. Join Glenn Beck, Bill O'Reilly, Stu, David Barton, and Rabbi Levin on fort on a 14-day adventure next spring sailing in the eastern Mediterranean. You're going to visit Italy, Croatia, Jerusalem, Israel, and Athens in Greece to explore the roots of, roots of Western civilization on our cruise through history. No time machine required, just a passport and a desire to share your values with the ones you love. Explore Venice, the birthplace of commerce. You could tour Greece, the origin of the republic and democracy. Walk where Jesus and his disciples shared the gospel that sparked Christianity. It's going to be a cruise like no other, and Glenn is incredibly excited to share it with you. Bring your children, you can bring your grandchildren, and you can share this amazing experience. Look, show them how this region of the world inspired our Constitution and our founders to create this grand experiment we call America. How do you get to do that? Well, visit ComeSailAway.com today to learn all of the details and the different packages. That's ComeSailAway.com. Go do it. Everybody, welcome to another episode of the Chad Prather Show. It's the most fun thing I do. I don't care if you came to a live show or not. I'm telling you, this is the most fun because I get to sit on my butt and hang out with cool people, and that's what we do here in Studio 22. And I appreciate you guys always tuning in and listening. I can tell you what, we have got some of the most faithful subscribers and listeners, and I love that that you guys are repeating some of our hashtags, and you're repeating some of the things, and you're like telling us to put some of our catchphrases on T-shirts. We'll do it if you buy them, because we're capitalists, and that's what we believe in, is making money here. We're not here for our health, although it feels like we're in a sauna right now. And we're <laughs> sweating, Puppet Master Mark. I mean, it is warm in here. It's warm. Somebody asked me last week, is it really hot in Studio 22 or are you just talking about it? We're not dying. I mean, we're just complaining <laughs> because we're Americans and we're comfortable and this is a first world problem. Here we sit. But uh, it's it's got to get what, Candice? It's got to get up to what? Like 85 I, degrees in here? Yeah, 100? Yeah. Easily. Well, Easily. Not, a, not 100, but like 85, 87, I think. Is, it's gotten warm. Is the average. Yeah. Tonight, today is a nice, beautiful, overcast, windy day in Texas. Exactly. July is coming. June is coming. And uh, we're coming for you, Beck. I'm telling you. <laughs> we, we need Glenn Beck to drop the hammer and make an executive decision and, and, and either tear this building down or put a new air conditioning in. <laughs> we're talking to you, Beck. Uh, I don't even know if Glenn has the power to make that happen. But anyway, Studio 22. It's our temporary studio until we can go over. You know what we're going to do? We're going to get over there to the new studio. The the new the new studio twenty two when we get moved over there and they keep it on like sixty degrees you know what we're gonna do right we're gonna totally complain that it's too cold in there <laughs> constantly that's what that we're would gonna be do. hilarious we're gonna complain about it being too cold can somebody turn the air off but you know it's much easier to layer up than layer down well yeah. I know and so like I dress like a slob on this set because I just know I'm gonna sweat through it and just and just so I dress like a slob. There's no sport coats or anything like that. Anyway, good to see you guys. Party foul Steve sitting over there in the peanut gallery. He's got some kid with him. I don't know who that guy is. Look at this punk. 12 <laughs> years old. He's a punk. Going through puberty. His feet don't fit the rest of his body. Just weird. He, he back talks. He's, he, I, I, I promise you, this kid, Brandon, my stepson over here, I promise you, he teaches other kids how to cuss on the playground for a fee. Don't you? <laughs> Look at me. You really need to repent, dude. God's watching. <laughs> And Jesus, um, I don't feel comfortable sharing this information. Um, yeah. I'm gonna have to ask you to. Um, oh, now, no, oh, now you need to be me, 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 brought down to national security measures. We know you, you punk, <laughs> punk. How many girlfriends you got now? Seriously, gotta count them, Candace. <laughs> count them. No kidding. Um, something around there. How many boyfriends? <laughs> Oh, look at Party Foul Steve bringing up the real questions, the hard-hitting action. We were at, so, so Steve, Brandon, I got to brag on Brandon. Like, Brandon is a great kid, right? Like, when I came on the scene early in his life, his mother was raising him for the electric chair. Like, he did not have a future. <laughs> and I came along and really made a difference in his life. And, and you're welcome, Brandon. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad exactly that I was able to do happened. that. It's true. I mean, you know, testify. Uh uh, my, I can remember going in the in the walk-in closet in the bedroom one day, and my wife was crying. And I'm like, what's wrong? She goes, the two men in my life that I love hate each other. And I was like, I don't hate him. He hates me. But that's because of, I mean, he's got man love in his life now. You know what I'm saying? There's a little discipline coming. But he turned out okay. 
But Brandon, um, speaking of gay things, he plays the clarinet <laughs> for the school band. And we're so proud of him because he does so good. And I'm kidding. Look at you. Are you blushing? Are you blushing? So, but he's really good. And the other day we went to the band recital and one of the girls stepped up and they were introducing different people in different parts of the band. And my wife says, uh, Don't you do it. that's his girlfriend right there. And it was a typical middle middle school thing, you know, like where where she was like a foot and a half taller than him. <laughs> and I'm like, attaboy. I mean, all the good stuff's at eye level. So it's great. You know, that's a good job, kid. Good job. And he's like, well, that's one of them. Be careful with that text messaging thing. I'm telling you, be careful what you say to anybody. We have to get on to it. You see, this is, this is a 21st century problem. You don't have like, to get on to me. I'm not, really. I, I just like to make sure that the public knows that I'm parenting. Okay. Oh, I see. <laughs> At least I see. giving it a shot. Listen, I'm proud of you, and I love you, buddy, and uh, the rest of you guys too. I really appreciate y'all. Appreciate the folks that are watching. Listen, I get messages all the time because we're always dealing with with these issues of people who are wanting to give up, or stories of tragedy that have turned into success, or people who persevere and endure and make just a bad situation into a great situation and motivate other people. And I love being able to do that because I get so many messages at the end of the day from people who are saying, I watched this video or I saw this or heard this message and it made a difference in my life. We've had everything from people who were, who were considering suicide to divorce to all of these various things, and, and we've seen lives changed. And I know there's always people who are sitting out there who say, well, you don't know what I've been through. Well, my thing is, it doesn't matter what you've been through. I know what you're going to go through if you don't get the right mindset and get things motivated and moving forward in your life with the right attitude and momentum heading forward. And so that's why my biggest advice to people who ask me, I said, you got to keep your head up and keep moving forward and stay strong. Because when you stop and you stagnate, it's going to be one of those things that you're never going to succeed. So I'm excited today about my two guests, this couple, beautiful couple. I'm happy to have them here. They made the sacrifice to be here and, and take the time with us. Chris and Emily Norton, thank you guys for coming in and hanging with us all the way from West Palm Beach, Florida beautiful place how'd y'all get to west palm beach no that was come from my training yeah so i was training for my injury my spinal cord injury and my pt relocated to florida and it was that or stay in the midwest and made an easy decision for us that we want to be in, in south florida yeah you guys so what was the closest you were from iowa originally you're both yeah. from iowa right yeah. yes what's the closest big city do they have those in Iowa? I know Des Moines they is don't. the <laughs> Des Moines. Yeah. Des Moines. Des Moines. I lived right outside of Des Moines, so that's our big city. Yeah. Yeah. We did a show in Des Moines, and then we did a show in Dubuque the following night this past year. And uh, uh, the guy – I didn't know that, like, the Game of Thrones wall was designed after the, the cliff wall there in Dubuque. Did y'all hear this? Like, no, the guy who created Game of Thrones is from Dubuque? Yes. <laughs> That's what the guy in the Uber said, and the Uber is always right. <laughs> yeah. The Uber driver. Of course. But this guy was a jerk. You remember him, Party Fell? Yeah, he sent the message the next day about you didn't tip him. Yeah, oh. apparently oh. my so famous, tip. You can't and look, tip. I'm a tipper. I am a tipper. Oh. Uh, and so I always go on the app, and I tip him, and, and apparently I didn't hit the send or whatever when oh. I gave him the five-star rating. And he was like, well, dude, I I would figure, you know, you guys that talk about this stuff, you know, you'd, you'd and I'm like, whoa, bro. Anyway, so <laughs> welcome to Dubuque. Oh, Dang. Hey, don't, don't let him put Iowa sour taste in your mouth. Right? <laughs> no. No. Hey, listen, that's funny stuff. But no, let's talk about you guys. That I, This is my this is my favorite. In this book, man, The Seven Longest Yards, I don't know if I can get it in the light where you guys can focus on that thing. Can you see this? Why is the light covering it up? You can't see it. There it is. Either way, trust me, that's a picture of Chris and Emily. It's an awesome picture. We're going to talk about the picture and the history behind it. Seven Longest Yards. I want you guys, let's start with you, Chris. I want you to, because obviously people see you on this video and they're like, mm -hmm. and those of you who are listening, he's sitting in a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. And they're like, how did he get there? You didn't start there. Tell that's me the story. That's right. As an 18-year-old kid, uh, everything was going perfectly according to plan. You know, my plan was going to be this all-American football player meet the girl of my dreams, earn a business degree, and someday make enough money to own a lake house. Or better yet, the girl of my dreams family already own a lake house. <laughs> uh, but sometimes, you know, life has a better plan for you than the plan you had for yourself. In October 16, 2010, sixth game of the season as a freshman at Luther College, I'm running down the field to make the tackle, and I see this opening where I know that ball carrier is going to run through. And I'm going to stop him and drive my shoulder so hard through his legs that he's going to drop the ball. Well, I see that opening, and I hit him, 
at full speed, but I mistimed my jump just by a split second. So instead of getting my head in front of the ball carrier, my head collides right with his legs. In an instant, I lose all feeling and movement from my neck down. I was motionless. It just felt like someone just turned the power off to my body. And I'm laying there conscious, and I'm just thinking, I just need a little bit more time before I can just push off the ground and get up off to the sidelines. And I'm just waiting and waiting, and nothing is changing. And later I realized that I suffered a severe spinal cord injury. So at that point in time, you're realizing that nothing below your neck is moving. And did you pass out? Were you unconscious for any period of time and come to to that? Or was it just an instant thing? I was completely conscious. I just thought it was temporary. Like I've had a tackle in football where I had a stinger, it's called, where it just yeah. kind of like pinched a nerve. I was motionless for about a few minutes and I was able to walk it off. And I'm thinking the same thing is happening. I just got to give it more time. And time kept going yeah. without anything moving. But yeah. uh, again, at 18 years old, I thought, you know, nothing bad can happen to me. You know, bad things happen to other people that you read about in the newspaper that you watch on television or their guests on your podcast. Um, but I never <laughs> thought, you know, something bad can happen to me. And, you know, eventually when they called in for the helicopter, that's when I knew, like, okay. Yeah. This is serious. And at that point, I closed my eyes. I tried to block it out. Like, I didn't even want to accept that this was happening to my life. I just thought, there's no way this can be my life. This yeah. is not part of the plan. And so I closed my eyes. The only thing I could do just to try to act like it wasn't happening. Yeah. And, and you're right when you say that because people think, well, this, this is what happens to other people. Mm-hmm. We hear, read about this in the news or we hear about it mm-hmm. see it on TV or something like that. Mm-hmm. And and the the idea of it happening is so fractionally small in a situation like that that you're like, yeah, this this isn't going on. Mm-hmm. But we've talked to various people who have had those spinal injuries and, and things, and and they've all had that same thing. It's like it's all of a sudden you're launched into a new reality. You're living your dream one minute, and then all of a sudden, boom, your life has changed forever. So the doctors ultimately tell you that you had a 3% chance of walking again or moving again below the neck. What was the diagnosis? It was moving, 3% chance to move or feel anything below yeah. my neck. How did you take that? You know, I took it a little unexpected, I guess. Um, here in the news, I kind of went in this, like, um, this – it's other world like it's just like a twilight zone uh just kind of like ears ringing just like how can this be mm. but then there's like this resilience this something came out of me where i was just like no way not me like mm-hmm. no way not me this is not going to be my life like i'm not going to accept it i'm going to do whatever i can to beat the odds i won't be that 97 percent that doesn't recover from this i'll do whatever it can to be that three percent and so i just went to work that was the only thing i knew how to do was just to work and I just did the only thing I could do which was nod my head yes and no and I nodded my head yes and no for hours I looked like a giant bobblehead just <laughs> bouncing my head around but uh, eventually I was able to shrug my left shoulder and I wow. shrug my left shoulder for hours but um, I don't know it's just like if you're thrown into like a pool and you can't swim you know you're not just going to sink you're going to thrash you're going to do whatever you can to get to the side and that's kind of how i compare it to i didn't i don't know where that resilience came from other than just like it was survival mode i just couldn't accept being at that place i just had to do something about it i know that our friend amberly snyder and we talked about her she was a guest recently and professional barrel racer she still races and and you know she was in an auto accident she was thrown out of her truck and and hit a fence post and and she was paralyzed from the and she even says all the time she's like i look at myself some days in this chair and i'm thinking just tell yourself to get up just tell yourself to move but it you know there's no response there Mm -hmm. you know how long was that when all of a sudden you could shrug your shoulder and you started to see something and it did it encourage you to did to think hey i can do this yeah i mean it was pretty soon after surgery the next day where I was able to shrug my left shoulder and wow. it gave me just like this glimmer of hope. Like, okay, I'm going to beat this. I'm going to walk. I'm going to get my life back. This is just like a temporary placeholder for my life until I get back to where I was. And so I was just doing whatever I could to get better. But often there was times where I did reflect back to what was once was. Yeah. And that was where I really would discourage myself. Like, I'll never forget the first time I was able to curl my left arm up to my shoulder. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a simple arm curl. I was excited about it. And so they put a half pound ankle weight 
strapped it around my wrist. I didn't have any dexterity in my fingers. And I struggling, I'm shaking, I'm able to get it to my shoulder. You know, I'm with my family, the occupational therapist, we're all celebrating. I'm excited that I just curled this half pound weight. But then I thought about, wow, just two weeks before, how much weight I could curl then. Yeah. And it just ripped all of the joy and excitement I just had just because I was comparing to once was. And it really taught me, though, I have to stay present. And I have to celebrate those little victories, those little blessings each and every day because that was those moments that would encourage me just to keep moving forward, even if I didn't know where I was going. Yeah. And I know there's folks who watch this and you'll say, okay, well, we've heard these stories before where here's a guy who had an energy and he works real hard. He gets these things. Hang tight. There's a whole lot to this story. We're going somewhere because that's you're just getting started on this thing. Emily, where did you come into the picture on this whole deal? So we met a few years after his injury. Mm -hmm. Um, We started talking online and there's just an instant connection. God bless the internet. That's true. (laughs) Bougie Sean, y'all can't see him. He's sitting over there. He met his wife online. God, you did good, buddy. (laughs) You did so good. Anyway. Yeah. Swipe right. Yeah. Um, So it was an instant connection and um, I definitely was really curious in how he stayed so positive. Like I thought at first, like there's no way that he is this positive and he enjoys life this much with what he has to deal with. But he does. Like, I mean, now it's been how many years since then? And he's still, he finds yeah. the good and he has his hard moments, but he's got such a positive attitude. Um, when he is struggling, he'll be, find what he's thankful for, find whatever good is going on in his life and is able to change that attitude around. Yeah. Did you, did, when you, you were like, all of a sudden you find yourself falling for this guy and you're like, oh God, what am I getting into? Um, uh, a little bit, yeah. but I also had no idea. So mm-hmm. I, I mean, I didn't know anybody that was in a wheelchair besides my grandma who used it like outside the house yeah. when she needed it. Other than that, I did not understand it at all. Um, but I'm very curious. And I want to understand people and their stories and um, how they do what they do. So I was pretty naive about it for a while. Um, and I, I mean, he was so comfortable in his skin as well, where it was easy to just see him. Um, yeah. He made me feel really comfortable because you could tell he was confident with where he was. Yeah, and I knew how naive she was before we officially met when she <laughs> asked if she could just pick me up from the house that I was at in her little yellow, yellow car. car. Yeah, I'm like, oh, goodness. I was like, you could probably fold up the chair, put it in the back, right? Like, that's how it's going to work. Yeah, and then you could just go right into the, the front seat just like that, yeah. snap your fingers. And I'm like... Oh man, like <laughs> this is not gonna work out. Like she she doesn't have a clue. <laughs> How awkward does that become though when you're having to navigate those those awkward situations and those hard questions and the learning curve and experience? Like how hard was that for you guys? Was it simple or tough? You know, Emily has such a good attitude about it. She just has like this independent, hardworking, like get things done mentality. Yeah. So like every single like issue that we come up with she was just like let's just figure it out i had the same attitude too so we just together we're just like we'll make it work we'll just figure it out we'll just problem solve yeah and sometimes it it just takes a little muscle or it takes a little problem solving or creative thinking but we figure it out you you guys ever fight i mean like like (laughs) (laughs) i mean i got a wife i know how this goes yeah of course yeah fighting's good yeah right done the right way (laughs) I always yeah. tell people, you, you got to fight in a marriage, in a re- good relationship, always has your arguments. You just got to do it in a constructive way. I'm telling you, Candace, one of these days you're going to get married. <laughs> Believe yeah. me. Start, start, start tuning up on your fighting skills. Fighting skills. Just <laughs> ask party foul Steve and his wife, Tony. My Lord, it's hey, like we're the pros. We're like, it's like WrestleMania years. at the house. <laughs> we're like 19 years of perfecting our fighting skills. I don't think, like Steve, I don't think if y'all could fight, like you wouldn't get along. Oh, we wouldn't get along at all. I think you guys have to do it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but, I mean, obviously you guys are, are, are bastions of positive energy and, and just, I mean, you look at it and you're like, did you, do you, did you have that positive attitude pre-accident or was it something that's like ingrained in you, in you through the process of dealing with the accident? I always had a positive attitude, so that definitely helped. Don't get me wrong. And yeah. It, afterwards, it just really, it, it came into play and a whole other level, though, uh, where you had to be very intentional about it. But, I mean, I have my moments. I have my days, you know, uh, especially in the beginning, like at nighttime. I hated going to bed. Yeah. Going to bed, I had to think. And thinking about my future and where I was at was horrible. I was just 
my thoughts would just run wild of like, you know, will I ever go back to school? Will I ever play sports again? Will I ever meet a girl that would want to be with me? Will I ever be happy from a chair? I'm like, this not, again, it's not how my life is supposed to go. Like this seems horrible. And yeah. it just, I, I, again, I hated going to bed. I felt like a tr- prisoner trapped in my own body. I couldn't yeah. move. Yeah. Well, I can tell you this in all due respect, you could have done a lot worse. You, you, you did good, son. God yeah. has blessed you yeah. favorably. Way out of my league. Yeah. Call what it is. Dude, but you're blessed, man, yeah. beyond measure. Yeah. So we, I think everybody married in this room, especially Bougie and, and Steve, I mean, my wife, and my wife, dude, I, way out of my league. So we're all in this thing together. Good Lord, have mercy. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, for favor. What is it? Proverbs 31, he who finds a good wife finds a... Good thing. Yeah, that's an understatement right there. (laughs) So you guys get together and you decide, hey, let's get married. Which brings me to this picture on the cover of the book. I love this. Tell me about this picture, Emily. Yeah, so... um I guess we'll, we'll back up a few years when Chris made the decision yeah. to graduate from well, when he wanted to walk across the stage at his graduation, college yeah. graduation. And we didn't expect it to give the inspiration that it did to people and help people. But we did afterwards. We got hundreds and thousands of messages of people who were struggling and that gave him hope and helped them to not give up and want to keep working hard. So when it came to when we were engaged and we were ready to um, get married, we're like, we have to do this. Like we have to yeah. do another walk. Um, there's so many people who are going through hard times and we want to make sure that people know that with God, when you work hard, when you keep taking one step at a time, like you said, keep moving forward, um, that amazing things can happen. You can make anything happen. Yeah. It's so you, you decide, you know, you're not just going to walk down the aisle. You make this thing a special deal at your wedding. Cause you could see in this picture, you know, here's Emily. She's got Chris right here beside her and the chairs in the background mm-hmm. and you guys are just walking on down. I mean, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a, quite it's, a statement, not mm-hmm. only to <clears throat> the perseverance, but just to the commitment and love to each other. And, you know, we're going to we're going to make a statement out of what we're doing here. Yeah, yeah definitely. Absolutely. And like that walk down the aisle was the easiest part of our entire journey. Yeah. I, to be honest, like it was everything leading up to that moment. That was the challenging part. Yeah. And that's where we're, we're really excited to share our story in that book because I think it'll give a lot of people who are hopeless hope and just encourage them to just take one foot in front of the other yeah. uh, and just keep going. Well, and that's the thing because and, – and that's why I encourage people to get this book, The Seven Longest Yards by Chris and Emily Norton. Get the book because obviously – there, we go from a guy who's told he's only got a 3% chance of ever moving any again below the neck to now you're moving your shoulder to now you're walking down the aisle with your wife. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot going on in the middle of that story. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's an mm-hmm. impressive thing, which is a story. And I'm telling you, there's folks out there that always want to listen and say, oh, but I can't, I can't, I can't. Uh, come on. You know, there, there's... It, mm-hmm. it, I'll tell you what, if you tell yourself right now you can't and that's the end decision, you don't mm-hmm. try anymore, then I can guarantee you that's the way it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Now, you might bust your tail and persevere and, and not be able to accomplish something, but at least you know you worked hard and that in and of itself is an accomplishment. So, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. oh know, definitely. That's yeah. what my whole motivation, too, with my first the graduation walk that went viral and then also the wedding walk was just working it like yeah. so hard that when I got to those moments when I can look further down the road I can feel good about how far I've come because yeah. I, obviously you're seeing me in a wheelchair still like my goal was to walk but I have peace and contentment knowing how hard I worked yeah. I, I worked relentlessly and I, I'm happy with where I'm at being in a chair yeah I want to get into talking about what what you guys are doing now uh, but I, I want talk to me a little bit about the foundation because you started the Chris Norton Foundation tell me a little bit about the foundation because I want people to be able to find that and support that yeah so I mean going through my injury I was fortunate enough that I had the support of the NCAA catastrophic insurance policy an insurance policy that you only get if you're a student athlete and you're injured on the field of play And so they've been paying for all my medical and rehab expenses. Mm -hmm. So I had the liberty to pretty much train as much as I want, get the equipment that I need to recover. And I started to recover because of all these privileges. And and I'm meeting other people who don't have the access to that kind of therapy or that kind of equipment. And I met a friend of mine who would travel three hours to use the equipment that I had at my house. And that just broke my heart. 
like just seeing how far I've come compared to where he's come mm-hmm. and knowing how badly he wants that like he wants it to walk and recover just as badly as I do, if not more, but he can't because of his resources. Mm-hmm. And it, just seeing that time after time again, it was in college that I'd started the Chris Norton foundation and we wanted to change that. So we started to provide uh, grants and opportunities to rehab facilities to get that kind of equipment that I was using to recover for people in the areas that never had access to it and to also make it available where they can just sign up on a sheet to just show up versus going through insurance and going through all these different hoops to get there. Um, and then also this summer we're starting a the Chris Norton Foundation wheelchair camp. So that's for kids and families to come completely for free. Uh, It's an all-adaptive camp this summer in Minnesota, and we're really excited about that where they can horseback ride, they can do archery, zip line, sports, and other fun activities uh, for a a week long. It's going to be the the best week ever. Yeah, and they can find information on that at chrisnorton.org, right? Correct. chrisnorton.org. So I encourage you people to check that out and keep following with them. It's an amazing thing. I was We did a Memorial Day softball tournament, a celebrity softball tournament, and, and I was out there hanging with some folks, and one of the guys that was participating, a lot of veterans out there, a lot of amputees and things like that, but one of the guys who he survived the second bomb in the Boston Marathon and mm-hmm. lost a leg and most of the mobility in another one. Uh, and he's starting – he's working on starting a sports network for people who are mobility challenged because it's a thing, and people don't realize how much activity is available to people who are mobility challenged mm-hmm. or they're in a chair or there's something or they, you know, they've lost a limb mm-hmm. or something like that. And they're doing that. And he was telling me all these sports out there. And I'm like, I had no idea they existed. You know? Awesome. Oh yeah. It's amazing. I thought the same thing. I was in the hospital. I'm like, I mean, I can't do anything fun anymore. <laughs> like it's over. Yeah. Like the ride is gone, but there's so many programs out there. There's so many resources out there that can help you do some pretty thrilling things. Like uh, this winter, I went adaptive skiing, and that was wow. a thrill. You How was do... that? How hard was it? It was a ton of fun. I had someone, like, tethered behind me. Yeah. And uh, I just used my body weight. I just leaned left to right to kind of, like, carve the mountain. And it was a rush. I mean, just getting off the ski lift and just, like, going down, like, the little bunny hill. Yeah. I was like, whoa. Like, I was freaking out. (laughs) And then eventually, you know, we're up towards the top of the mountain um, by the next day. But it was such a a fun, thrilling thing to do that I haven't experienced for a long time. That's awesome. Party Fowl, are you a snow skier? No. No. Let's get you on skis. Let's do it. Let's do that. Me, you, and Chris, we're going. There we go. We're going okay. to tether Chris uh, behind you. Okay. So, oh, okay, I'm out. I'm out. Yeah. I'm out. <laughs> Trust I'm out. me, there's a reason we call him Party Foul. So, yeah, um, that, that, I, oh, Steve, that'd be fun. I don't I don't want to pay your medical bills. <laughs> what? I can go to the ski lodge and drink a little whiskey you'll drink whiskey and look yeah. at the snow bunnies coming through That's i know right. how you do that. let's get in this thing something i learned about you guys through the book this is fascinating to me this is something near and near very near and dear to my heart foster care and adoption this is a major thing for you guys yeah. i mean you not only get this through your head folks i mean not only like it'd be real easy for you to look at yourself and say oh, i'm gonna spend the rest of my life laying in bed thinking trapped in myself navel gazing feeling sorry for myself it's enough for me to take care of me but you guys have a whole other story of how you've given your life away emily let's yes. talk about this thing oh, how did yeah. you guys get into adoption and foster care so when i was in high school i started mentoring and um, at an elementary school and i met whitley mm-hmm. and whitley at the age of 11 was taken away from her mom mm-hmm. um, was being abused and had a lot of just things in her house that shouldn't have been happening um, so she went into foster care and I've, I came from a great family. I had parents that were there who loved me, supported me. Um, so I was hooked because I realized at that point that there are kids who don't have that. Who I'll never forget, um, Whitley got put in a group home where it was just kids living there. There weren't enough foster families to take her in. And I drove her mom up to go visit her. And at the end of it, Whitley was looked at her mom and said, I love you. Her mom said nothing, just mm. quiet. And she said it again and nothing. I'm over there crying. Whitley's crying. Like, she's got taken away from everything she's ever known. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, I'm like, doesn't this, like, make you sad? Isn't this hard for you to leave your daughter? Um, and she's like, oh, I've dealt with this with my other child. Wow. And I, I was... I couldn't believe it. Right? You want to punch somebody in the face. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I had a lot of anger. I started yeah. getting so angry, um, which brought me down not a very good path with yeah. the anger. Um, I hit you in Jesus' name. <laughs> yeah. 
Seriously. I'll pray for you later, but. Yeah, no, honestly. Um, so I was absolutely hooked. I was like, I want kids to know that they're loved and know they're special and um, know that there's a place for them and they're here for a reason. Um, so I've, since then, I've just done what I could to be there for kids in those situations. And then we became foster parents actually for Whitley three years ago when she was 17 years old. She had been in foster care since she was an 11, 11 years old, and um, we were her 19th placement. Wow. 19th. Yeah. So she had moved around um, many, many times. So she came to us at 17, and it was definitely challenging and difficult, um, but we love her so much. And a few years later, we actually adopted her when she was 19. That's fantastic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then after Whitley left, she graduated high school, and we decided to continue to just keep our home open for other kids in foster care. So it's such a huge need. And you guys have done it, because let me read this, because I'll get it wrong. So you've got five adopted girls. Mm-hmm. You've had Whitley. You've had, and she was from your hometown, right? And then you had yes. a group of four sisters, age two to nine, and you guys are fostered seventeen children, including the four you adopted. Yep, we have no, and we love I'm it. Tired just reading that. <laughs> it know? sounds tiring. I mean, a few years back, I would have thought the same thing when we first started fostering. After Whitley, we said we'll take one kid under two. Yeah, we're like we'll start easy. We've got a lot going on, and then. God stretched us um, to just want, keep wanting to do more and more, and um, we ended up then with five kids, and just recently we had seven, because we're still fostering. So yeah. we love it so much, we can't stop, and there's such a huge need. Well, I, I love that, because for one thing, so, you know, a big argument going on in the America today is, of course, the pro-life and, you know, the pro-choice debate that's going on. You have... States like Alabama, who it's Georgia passed the heartbeat bill and then Alabama has done. Basically, they said, unless, you know, the life is threatened or there's a, is a physical anomaly with the child, there's no abortion. You know, it could be a federal offense and these kind of things. And one of the pushbacks has mm-hmm. been on the on the pro-choice side is people saying, uh, well, why don't you care about kids that are alive? Yeah. Because you're, there's no fostering and there's no adopting and things like that. Well, then Alabama came out and they fost they are now in Alabama is now fostering more people. Mm-hmm. Yes, they passed the abortion law, but they're now it's proven they're fostering okay. more people than any other state in the nation. So basically they said, you know, hey, hold my beer and watch this. And, and they're doing it. Yeah. So they're kind of making them eat that argument. But but I think there is still an epidemic. It's it, one. It's hard to adopt. Mm-hmm. In many cases, it's hard to, to foster. I, I know a lot of folks who have gone out of the country, whether it's China or places like that, and they've spent tens of thousands of dollars and waited years in the process to do that. How, how, how do people do that in America? What's the process of going through to either adopt or to foster kids? Yeah, so, I mean, you can adopt through foster care. It's completely free, um, which is really nice. There's um, They help out with a lot of different things with insurance and all of that, which is extremely helpful. Um, but it's definitely it's a process but it's not super hard like you just you find a licensing agency and you get licensed to be a foster parent um and then you can pick like you want one kid or you want siblings at what ages you want um and there's paperwork all of that you have to get background checks it's not a super hard process and it's completely free which is helpful for a lot of people i think that's something that people are like kids are very very expensive um and can hold them back from it but um that's been helpful as well to have those but, yeah, I mean, it's a huge need. There's so many kids that, honestly, just don't even know what unconditional love is. Like, we have kids coming into our home, and they think if they're bad, we don't love them anymore. Yeah. Like, that's how they think it works, that we'll only love them and like them if they're good. And um, helping them to realize that. And we've had so many moments where kids, have, for the first time, like, I, I think I'm special. And mm-hmm. we had an eight-year-old making pancakes for St. Patrick's Day, rainbow pancakes. That was the first time. And you could tell she said that, like, for the first time ever. Like, she was realizing I'm special. Yeah. And that's what makes it so worth it through the hard, through the goodbyes, um, with saying bye to fo- kids in foster care and all of that. But it's amazing the impact that you can make. Yeah. You guys are busy. We are. Pretty. It keeps us going. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it gives us energy. The more kids that we have, the more energy that we both have, especially oh, yeah. Emily. Emily's like a machine. Like she's yeah. one or one without the cape. Like she just goes, goes, goes. Like we just had seven kids. Like we said goodbye to two kids yeah. just uh, a couple weeks ago, and we got that call. And Emily was asking me, "I'm like, are you really asking me this question? Like we're gonna take on more kids? Like this is crazy. Like yeah. how can we do that? Like there's no way we're capable of doing that." And obviously, like she's very convincing. 
And uh, <laughs> wives yeah. have a tendency to yeah. eat that way. Yeah. That's the thing. He right? kept trying. It was in the middle of it. Yeah, <laughs> convincing, Fuji. That's the word. Yeah, they're, they're convincing. Yeah. So she was convincing. She convinced me. And then you realize that you can take on so much more than you think you can handle. Mm-hmm. And that's really when you can realize your potential is yeah. taking on more than you think you can handle. And um, and we could do it. Yeah. That's crazy. And, you know, it's something there's something special about being able to pour your life and invest your life into somebody else. You know, over the years, we've been actively involved in Central American countries as well as Southeast Asian countries trying to not only feed kids, but like in Southeast Asia and Thailand, we have orphanages where we're trying to pull kids off the street before they get human trafficked or sold mm-hmm. into prostitution rings and things like that because it's a major epidemic. And so we have an, a, 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 an orphanage in Thailand and in Cambodia. And so, you know, working with kids has been near and dear to our heart. And I have people all the time who say, well, you, you need to work with the kids here in America. I'm like, well, we do. But I also believe that the light that shines farthest away shines the brightest at home. Mm-hmm. And and it's just we take the opportunity as it comes. But we love kids. Yeah. And and I jokingly say it's, you know, it's like my wife won't even let me have another puppy, you know, so <laughs> much less. And, and with five kids of our own, we, we're busy, you know, have a lot going on. But I respect that. I appreciate that. But when you can pour yourself out because. Because you admittedly, Emily, you've dealt a lot. And this is something we talk about a lot on this show because I'm very outwardly outspoken about this in my own plight. But mm-hmm. you've dealt with a lot of depression yeah. over the years. How's that affected you versus how what you're doing helps that? Yeah, I mean, so at, right after college, I went into a really dark, deep depression where I literally never thought I would be me again. Yeah. Like, I've always cared so much, always wanted to do what I could to help others. And I was carrying that weight on my own shoulders and had this sort of responsibility, like it was my responsibility to help these kids. Um, and it weighed me down and it got to be too much. And um, I slowly, like myself, I just started slipping away mm. and lost hope completely. Like, I literally didn't have hope at all. And I look back so many times. It's been years, but I still look back. I'm like, I cannot believe I am where I am. Mm. Because during that time, there's no way that I would have ever thought that I would be here right now sharing that story of going through depression and anxiety. And um, I'm better than I was before. Like, I am more me than I was before I went through that time. Mm. And I learned so much. I truly believe if I didn't go through that time, we wouldn't be able to be foster parents and adoptive parents um, because it taught me exactly what I needed to know to help these kids and to surrender it to God. So many times we carry things that we're not meant to carry and it will weigh you down and mentally paralyze you. Um, And that's what happened to me. And then I was in that place completely against getting help. Mm. Very stubborn, very independent, want to do everything myself, which is helpful with a lot of things, but not with that. Because I had this view in my mind that first of all, I didn't understand why am I going through this? I've never gone through anything hard. I've never been abused or neglected or had hard things happen to me. Um, So that was one view I had. It's like, this doesn't make sense. I couldn't accept it. And then the other one was, if I can't help myself through this, then I am in trouble in life. Like, I can't do it. Because when I go through something really hard, like, it's... It's going to be over. Like, I I don't, I didn't understand it. Um, So it prevented me from getting help for a really, really long time. I went away from everyone, um, stopped feeling anything um, except for anger because it was so much easier to feel angry than anything else. Um, Buried it all down. And finally, I started going back to church because I'd pushed God away for a long time. Mm -hmm. Again, didn't want to feel those vulnerable feelings that I was feeling and admit what was happening. And when I prayed, that would come out. And I I couldn't do it. I couldn't deal with it. So pushed it away. Um, And then eventually we started going back to church. And I was able to get the strength to go and get some professional help with a um, a mental health therapist and get on some medication that completely changed everything. And then obviously you still have to put in some work. Yeah. Um, because I was not a person that I ever thought I would be. I hurt Chris a lot. Like you asked about fighting. We definitely had a lot of fights during mm-hmm. that time. Yeah. Um, and I He's was, like, I'll was, be outside in the Prius. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So it was difficult. But um, I was able to get through that time with just being able to realize, like, I had to depend on God. And now that's helped with fostering. Um, We've had kids come into our home and have told us the most unimaginable abuse that you could imagine. And um, that would have totally just tore me apart. And it still does. Like, it's still heartbreaking. But I know how to handle it. Like, I will meet the kids where they are, and then I give it to God. And I don't keep carrying it. 
Um, and, and I still know, like, if I need to, I need to let things out and not yeah. keep it in and not try to be so stubborn and do things on my own. Well, it, it, you, I, gosh, you described so many people, including myself, because mm-hmm. you, you get to that point where you're like, no, not me. I, you know, I had a friend who sat me down and said, you're depressed. You got to deal with this. You got to, and I, and when I, you know, when I came out about it, I came out about it. I was like, I'm not going to hide it. I'm not ashamed of it. It's like saying somebody's ashamed of cancer. Yeah. You know, you're not. Yeah. It's it's something that's going on, whether it's a chemical imbalance or even the circumstantial things. But mm-hmm. so many people are dealing with it. And I thought, OK, well, we're going to talk about it. And you have those dark days and you think I can't pull myself out of it. That's why I encourage everybody. I always say you need to talk to your therapist, your doctor and your God. And they're probably mm-hmm. not in that order. Yeah. You, you know, you, you switch it around. But you've got to talk to someone yes. mm-hmm. and build those people around you to talk and, and then give yourself away. That's one of the biggest ways mm-hmm. to and get on medication. Yeah. There's no shame in it. Yeah, exactly. And if the medication doesn't work, get on the medication that does work. Yeah. <laughs> Keep trying it. Yes. You know, I was on medication from 2009 to I think 2012 and then I quit. Because and it made a difference because mm-hmm. for me I was okay to come off the medication. Then right. a few years later I was like I got to get back on medication, but I yeah. had to get on the right medication. Yep, mm-hmm. it's a crazy deal. Yeah, I know. I mean, there's it's definitely I, it was extremely hard for me. It's it's still kind of hard to talk about honestly I know. because there is such like this stigma about it, and it's the exact same thing. Like if you go and break your arms, you're going to go to the doctor. Chris broke his neck. He was on his way to the emergency yeah. room for surgery, and you can see that, but you don't see what when people are dealing with mental health issues and it is, it's a huge problem. And that's the reason that we wrote this book. Um, and I've shared these things is because too many people are dealing with it alone. And I felt so alone and I had just completely taken it in and was trying to do everything myself. And I don't want anyone to feel like that. And I want people to get help sooner and to know that it's okay. Like it's the same thing. You just break your arm. You go to the doctor. Same thing. Get it set. Get it reset. You got to do that with your brain. Whatever it is you need, just do it. It doesn't make you weak at all. And I say, I think it makes you stronger to be able to go get the help you need. It was so much harder for me to go do it and get help than it was. um, I mean, extremely hard time and all of that. But that was the hardest thing was just being able to just get up and take that first step and keep moving forward. I can remember back in, what was it? 2009. I may have misspoke a minute ago about the time I was there, but when I started Get, I got on medication 2009, and all of a sudden, two weeks later, I was sitting there on the couch, and I go, hey, the world's going to be okay. Yes. Like, all of a sudden, it kicked in, Chris, and I was like, oh, look at there. There's hey, a sun yeah. in the sky. There's birds, you yeah. know, and you and you go, and, and no, there's not that euphoric feeling all the time, and, and it's a constant battle to deal with, mm-hmm. but I started telling people, I was like, look, you can be better. You can do better. There's right. there's things that you can do in your life. How did you deal with all of that stuff? I mean, you, she I know she put you through the ringer because that's what women do, Chris. <laughs> yeah. And we start thinking, oh, women. Yeah. How did you deal with that? Not very well. I'd say in the beginning, at first, I'm like, you know what? I'm a motivational speaker. I'm just going to motivate her. Like, I got this. And that did not go well, as yeah. you can imagine. Trying to motivate her, pump her up, tell her what to do, and that backfired and uh, <laughs> trying to fix your wife like never works yeah, ever yeah. for a man yeah i mean why i mean i i, I know what you i think i know what you're going through like i went through hard stuff like yeah. you know it's just a bad attitude right <laughs> you just got to focus on the good and you know obviously it was all wrong like yeah. it was you know what i should have done is just listen to her and just really just be a you know kind of a sounding board for her and um, but you know, I, I didn't do that at first. And I thought, you know, there's no way she's going through depression again. And kind of back to what she was talking about that stigma, like, okay, well nothing bad happened. Right. So there, mm. there's no crazy events. So, uh, that's not check off the box. So you can't be a depression. I went through my spinal cord injury. I didn't go through depression. There's no, there's no way she can be going through this. And then obviously over time and educating yourself and you know, there's no denying the facts and. Uh, again, you know, if you, you break your arm, you go see a doctor. And yeah. um, you, although we can't see mental health issues, they're, they're happening and they need to be treated. And thankfully, we eventually, you know, went to church and they kind of gave us that fuel to the fire and gave Emily that courage to just, OK, I need help. Yeah. And uh, thankfully, we were able to get through it. But there was a time there. It looked like there wouldn't be a wedding. Um, mm-hmm. it, it was tough. Um, but thankfully we made it through. We just hung Dude, together. With my, Chris, with my wife, I'd be like, look at me. I'm the one suffering. Yeah. I'm in a chair. It's all up here with you, crazy lady. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. I, but I'm stupid like that. Because yeah. we're men. Yeah, yeah. No, hey, we, I, I've been there. Yeah. 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 He definitely had some 
Yeah. Thoughts. Yeah, I did. That's what we do. Total admiration for both of you because it's like. I mean, golly, you, you've been through the, all these things. You do these things, and, it, it, and people who get it get it. And there are going to be people out there who don't get it. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing, because I'm like you. I was like, I, look, when I would cl- crawled into my cave years ago and said, I'm done with public life, because I was like, I'm a motivational speaker. I'm all over the world. I'm doing all these mm-hmm. things, thousands of people I'm talking to. How in the world can I go out and motivate people when my life is falling apart? Mm-hmm. And I can't even pull myself together. So, you know, it's like that. And you're like, I can fix my wife. Mm-hmm. No. Those are, those are deadly words. Yeah. I mean, those are deadly yeah. words. They are. Like, I, I learned a long time ago with my wife. She'll tell me her problem. She doesn't want me to fix it. She just it's wants true. me to hear it. Yep. That's right. Mm-hmm. You know? She doesn't want a problem fixed. She wants it understood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. That's correct. Yeah, I, I'm, so, I'm there now. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Let her work that out on her own pace. Mm-hmm. But I appreciate you guys. So, okay, let's do this. So you're you're still traveling. You're all over the country. Mm-hmm. You're still speaking. Yep. And uh, moving all over. Yep, motivational speaker. And I share my story and how, you know, you can overcome your adversity, make more of an impact than yeah. ever before. How are people able to find you and book you to do that? You know, again, just go through my website, chrisnorton.org. That's kind of the, uh, yeah. the path. You can see all my speaking. And uh, it's something that I love to do. It gives my pain a purpose. It it energized me. It's just uh, being able to use what I've gone through to help someone else and to help them shift their perspective on life is it just fuel to the fire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The perseverance, the endurance, the healing, the giving through through the foster and adoptive care. Gosh, the depression. So many topics. I mean, you guys are just mm-hmm. nailing so many things that are just so many people are dealing with in some form or fashion. Mm-hmm. And... I appreciate you guys. I, we're going we're gonna to hang out some more. I'm telling well, you, I'm down you. to West Palm. Yeah. And then Chris and I are going to go skiing. <laughs> yeah. uh, we're going to take party foul out there. Yeah. We're going to laugh at him. There we go. Now you, I was, Go ahead. I was going to say, too, you know, touching on that subject, that is something I, I talk about is that, you know, okay, yeah, you can see my challenges. Everyone's really encouraging and kind to me. They come up to me and they'll talk to me. They lift me up. Yeah. But most of your, our challenges you can't see. Yeah. And you can't see anxiety or depression. You can't see the loss of a loved one or even cancer, a divorce, financial debt. The, the list goes on. Like You just can't see what people are going through. If you can just treat uh, everyone like you would treat someone that you can see their challenges, I mean, this world would be a better place. Yeah. You you were named to uh, the, what is the ITA group? Yep. 2018 top 100 uh, or top 2018 hottest keynote speakers. Michael Strahan, Magic Johnson, Mark Cuban. Look at you go. <laughs> Chris Norton. I'm trying to be like you, Chad. Just, no, bro. Uh-uh. I didn't even know that list existed. <laughs> like, I don't even think I want to be on it. <laughs> like, I've given my one speech so many thousands of times, like, nobody wants to hear it anymore. <laughs> I'm done. I'm out. I'm out. I, trust me, man. I admire you guys. I appreciate y'all. And uh, blessings to y'all. And just keep on rocking and rolling, man. And... Uh, we, y- y'all are those guys that, like, I love y'all's story, and y'all are friends of the podcast now. Like, some some guests we have on, like, no. They're not in the inner circle. Y'all are in. Okay, Chris? Appreciate that. Y'all are in. I don't care if you do live in Florida. All the old people down there. Yeah. Taking my parking spots. Uh, yeah. Yeah. As long as you don't eat dinner at yeah. the Bluebird Special at 3 p.m. Yeah, you know? there you go. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> Got to be hard to get handicapped parking in Florida. Oh, it's it's a nightmare. You know, you you get you get some run-ins, but you know, yeah. I'll save those stories for another day. You, know, you can get feisty. Yeah. My friend, uh, my friend Tom Mabe, who's an awesome comedian. He he's, he kind of his claim to fame was on the Bob and Tom Show. He would do all these call-in uh, pranks and. He also goes out and he videos his pranks. And one of my favorite one he does is he'll have he'll be driving the pickup truck, and you know how they have that little flat platform on the back with the scooter on it. Mm-hmm. Well, he'll just leave the old lady in the scooter, and he'll just drive through the parking lot and park <laughs> like he's driving down the highway with her just still clipped in. And people's reaction oh, to it and stuff. Oh, and man. So he'll take her off. <laughs> so that's classic, dude. I mean, that's just brutal, brutal. But anyway. <laughs> It's one of my favorite pranks he does, just to get people's reactions. Thank you all for coming on the show. Chris Not- ChrisNorton.org. Go check them out. Get the book. Here it is again, the seven longest 
yards. Read the book. It's going to cover all the topics we're talking about here today. And just, I love you guys. I appreciate y'all. Thank you for your honesty, your openness, your transparency. And, uh, hey, your organization needs to get Chris and Emily in. Have them in to speak. Bring them in. They'll bring like 40 kids with them. Yeah. They, they got an army. So make sure it's a buffet, right? Yep. And make sure that everybody can come in there. All Thanks, right. guys, for coming on the show. Hey, yeah, we you. love you guys. Come find me out on the road. Watchchad.com has the tour dates. We're going to be out there. We're making people laugh. We're not inspiring a soul. That's their job, okay? Go to watchchad.com, hang out. You guys on Twitter? Y'all on? Uh, y'all do this social media thing? Yeah. yeah. Where, where are you guys? We've mostly, probably been flashing it up the whole time on the screen. And haven't been. Mostly Instagram, Facebook, yeah. but I do have Twitter. Emma doesn't dabble in Twitter. Oh, it's but, a hate-filled place. Yeah. It's an evil barn-burning, hate-filled <laughs> dumpster fire. I love it. Um, and, but y'all are pretty, so y'all should do Instagram. Like, y- y'all should, like, yeah. I'm going to have to follow y'all on Instagram. Do we have the address? we have the Instagram address? I mean, they can tell us, but I want to put it up on the screen there. Oh. Yeah, Let's see it. Chris now. A. Norton. Chris 16. A. Norton. 16, right? Yeah, 16. 16. <laughs> Emily's is a lot easier. Mine's Emily's- Emily Summers Norton. So that was my maiden name was Summers. Emily Summers Norton. Norton. Yeah. I like it. Do you, do you like your married name? I do. Yeah? I really like the name Summers, too, though. I know. Well, see, I I, I like asking women that because you just never know. Yeah. You never know. Like, some people have to get, like, really... Like, is that a thing? Like, Candace, tell me. Like, when you consider, like, marriage in the future, like, is is the married name going to be a major deal to you? Like, I like this guy, but I can't have... (laughs) Oh, Bougie got to get on the mic now. Is that, like, a thing? You take the last name. Yeah, but it doesn't matter even if if his name is, like, Buttigieg or Swalwell. Or, have to work. Sorry, I'm getting political here. <laughs> it's like if Biden or yeah, Trump. I mean, you take the last name. That's a part of the deal, Doesn't right? matter. Yeah. But, like, you wouldn't date a guy and be like, oh, your first thought on the first date is, I can't marry this guy because his last name's Peabody. If it's if you're worried about the last name, then that, maybe yeah, it's not, you're probably like, going to work. Superficial. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Superficial. Like that yeah. news article recently where they were doing, uh, they were like, if you're not spending at least a quarter of your annual income oh, on yeah. an engagement ring, then you don't need to be getting married. Yeah. And that's pretty yeah. superficial. Yeah, that one's a bad one. That is. Bougie Sean, what were you going to say? Oh, that was, my wife wanted to keep her maiden name. And I was like, oh, no, you're taking it to Boston. What kind of feminist third wave liberalism <laughs> is this we're talking about, Bougie? Yeah, fix that. It's going to be Aaron Foster, and that's it. No Aaron and Garland Foster, none of that business. Yeah. It's, it sounds better. It's prettier. Aaron Garland. <laughs> What's Aaron Garland? What is that? I'm going to go out and say Aaron Foster is stronger. I like it. Emily Norton is a great name, which Emily is one of my all-time favorite names, by the way. I love the name Emily. Uh, it's, it's it's a fun name. I just always love it. might be because I miss Max's girlfriend, but whatever, whatever. That was eighth grade. I kid. Yeah, my wife. We, I always throw things in there just to see if my wife, wife is watching the show. I'll, I'll send her this link. I'm sure you will. You'll give her that 30-second clip, Candace. Kelly. Yeah. I hope you stay unmarried, at least till you're 40. <laughs> and I hope you marry a dude whose name is whatever. Go ahead. I'm not, I didn't know you were going to say what I was going to say. Sean Foster. Yeah. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. Check them out. Thanks. ChrisNorton.org. Follow them on Instagram. Come on. It's always the fun place. And we appreciate you guys for listening, subscribing, tuning in. Leave us a rating and review. We only do five-star reviews around here. If you want to leave a one-star review... You're a troll, and you need to get a life. And you're not welcome here. So get out. We appreciate you. (laughs) That's how you do things, Chris. Right there. You just tell them to like you. I love y'all. God bless you. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.